there. Ephesians 5.15. It's a brief overview. Ephesians has two sections to it, the first half and the second half. The first half is, is very doctrinal, and the second half is very applicable. What does this actually look like? The last time that we, we were in Ephesians, which again was two weeks ago, we talked about uh, the nature of sexual sin, which was a, a difficult section of scripture to work through but uh, it, it was very clear um, and Paul is addressing these believers, these Christ followers in this pagan town, Ephesus and the gospel is, is relatively new to them uh, but they're a gathering of believers that are in an existing church and Paul is giving them godly instruction so we're continuing on uh, chapter 5 verse 15 at uh, continued instruction to the believer says this, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody, melody to the Lord with all your heart. Giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let me read that section again. We're going to talk about that first. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. There is a sense of urgency in this short paragraph. Um, it seems almost like an overemphasis on uh, diligence on the part of the believer. Uh, Paul is saying that your attention and your efforts and your mind and, and your body all need to be brought uh, to urgent attention. <coughs> look carefully, it says. Explore. Look carefully how you walk, meaning this is how you live. Okay? I think we all see the example there. Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Those that are in pursuit of, uh, the, of godly ways. Verse 16, this tells you why. Why are we supposed to be doing this? Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. That the culture does not agree with what I'm getting ready to talk about here. That, that the people that are around you are not living by this, the same standard. That if you're the proverbial fish swimming against the stream, it's, it's going to be difficult. All right? the, the day, that's what it means when it says that the days are evil. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. You can feel the urgency here. Verse 17. Therefore... Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Understanding the will of the Lord, isn't that probably one of the most difficult questions in all scripture? How do I know what God's will is for my life? I mean, as a pastor, 
I've struggled with that in my own life. Like, how do I know? How do I know? How do I know? What am I supposed to do here? What am I supposed to do in this situation? What am I supposed to do in this walk of life? What am I supposed to do? And there have been books and books and books written on how do you determine the will of God. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Do not get drunk. Don't allow yourself to be impaired because things are urgent. You, you need to have a clear mind. You need to be focused. You need to be on track. You don't need to be distracted by anything, whether it's something as tangible as alcohol, which can impair your judgment, but also don't be caught up in just the ways of the world. Don't be caught up in the trends of the culture. Don't be caught up in just what, what's going on with, with family or with work or, legitim, or legitimate issues, but have a crystal clear focus and a crystal clear mind. For, again, verse 18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but rather be filled, be led by the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, how do we do these things? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's one. Number two, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. Number three, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I was at a conference once and... Uh, um, John Piper was, was speaking, and, and he, he wasn't speaking on, on, on song in particular, but he just paused in, 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 his, in his sermon and said, have you ever wondered why scripture calls us to sing? You know, that, 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 that there's, uh, it's a theme all throughout scripture, especially seen in the Psalms, but that, that the gathering of the believer involves song, it involves singing. It involves a joyful noise. And he said, why, why, why isn't the spoken word enough? And he didn't go into great detail, but he said that there is something more in song. And, and when, when we come together as believers, that's why we, we sing. We don't just proclaim, we do that also, but we involve music in, in the way that we interact with each other, in the way that we corporately interact with God. In verse 19, addressing one another, and psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, acknowledging the foundation that we are building all of this on, Jesus Christ. And then 21 says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submitting to one another is a direct reference back to the word walk in verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk. Look carefully then how you live. Part of looking carefully, part of being wise and not unwise, part of making the best of every opportunity because the days are evil, part of not being foolish, and part of understanding what the will of the Lord is, is, verse 21, submitting to one another out of reference for Christ. We, we see a setup here. Like the, the ball is set on the tee for tee ball. All right? Here's the setup. That there's a call for us to look carefully then how we walk, very specifically. It gives a few examples, singing, being thankful to the Lord, addressing each other with spiritual hymns, um, hymns, psalms, and spiritual songs. And then verse 21, it says, submitting to one another out of reverence. What we see uh, from this point forward in verse 22, chapter 5, all the way through chapter 6, verse 9, is different examples 
of commands of what it looks like to submit to each other. Um, I want to cross-reference this. Let's flip over to Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 says this. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, once again, this is spoken directly to believers, Christ followers. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Verse 6. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." Now, there's a, lot, there's a lot here in this one text in Philippians that we see. But as it says to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, Philippians 1, 1 through 11, says basically have the same mind of Christ Jesus. And it outlines what that looks like, of uh, the same affection and sympathy, have no rivalry, no conceit, um, in humility count others more uh, significant than yourselves, put each other first, do, give, serve, love, uh, prioritize other people, put yourself in second place, put yourself last. You're doing all this in the name of Jesus Christ. So when we look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, this is not speaking in the, in the context of all of mankind, but in the course of the church, the gathering together of believers, that we are supposed to follow the example of Christ who has done all this for us. And then in verse 22, through 33, it gives very concrete examples of um, what the relationship between a husband and a wife looks like in the context of this command of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, what we have in 22-33 is something that I, I just, I haven't heard, I'm going to call it a command principle, it, a command principle, for lack of a better term, because this is a command that we are getting ready to read here, but part of this command is a principle, and by principle I mean a, an, an, an underlying, underlying rule of thumb, all right, because a command, I think, by nature has a tendency to be very concrete, like the Ten Commandments. Um, Thou shalt not bear false witness, that's one of the Ten Commandments. Uh, sometimes we just say, thou shalt not lie. All right, that's, that's pretty cut and dry, right? Don't lie. Is it a lie? Well, then you shouldn't do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, 
Bearing false witness, that, that, those words come up 16 different times in Scripture. Um, I'm having some throat issues, so sorry. However, the word integrity comes up 27 different times in Scripture. Integrity is a whole lot more complex, isn't it, than bearing false witness? You see what I'm saying? But the command to live a life of integrity um, is just as clear as one of the Ten Commandments that says, Thou shalt not bear false witness. So it's a command, but there's the, the, the principal element is integrity. So integrity has to do with uh, more than just lying or truthful. It has to do with, it has to do with deceit. It has to do with uh, uh, being above reproach. It has to do with um, making sure that I'm not helping myself out, even if it te- technically isn't anything illegal. You know, integrity has to do with how I treat my wife and how I speak to my wife and how I speak about my wife and how I behave in public and how I behave in private. Integrity has... Uh, everything to do with um, the disciplines that are in my own life. Integrity has everything to do with how I interact with other people, how, how I interact with people who are older than me, and how I interact with people who are younger with me. And integrity has to do with how I handle my finances and my taxes and how I spend my money. You see what I'm saying? So there's a command principle here that really goes a whole lot deeper than simply just, boom, don't lie. And I think that's the reason why Paul goes to s- such great lengths in verses 15 through 21 by, by saying all these different things like, look carefully, all right? Take time, stop what you're doing, and really just explore what I'm talking about here. Not, not as unwise, but make sure that there's wisdom here. Not just knowledge, not just check, 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 but wisdom. Not foolishness, because the days are evil. So there's a flow, there's a tendency. There are other people around you who don't agree, who don't see the same, see things the same way you do, or we do as a church. Make sure that you're not impaired, you're not impaired by the culture, that you're not impaired by alcohol, so that you can know the will of God. So that you, personally, specifically, individually, can know the will of God. And that is more than just, boom, don't lie. You know, there's a lot to this. And this, this... This, this, this sifts its way down throughout the, the core of your life. It has to do with your parents. It has to do with your spouse or your future spouse. It has to do with your friends. It has to do with your enemies. It has to do with your employers. It has to do with past employers. It has to do with future employers. All right, this is a principle here that is getting ready to be outlined that is going to have application that you're going to have to chew on. And it's more than just don't lie. You're going to have to make application. And it's going to have to likely be daily. As situations come up, I didn't see that coming. How do I have integrity in this situation right now? And I didn't know this was going to pop up in my face. You know, It's more than just not lying. How do I have integrity? So Paul is saying, listen, this is a, this is a big issue that we're going, to, we're going to chew on here. So with that as the premise, let's read 22 to 33. Wives, this is Ephesians 5. 22 to 33. Wives, submit to, your hu- submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and in himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, 
so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ, the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. When you hear that, if you listen carefully, can you kind of hear that can of worms? Can you hear that? I thought that was going to be more funny than it was. <laughs> this can be a difficult text. Because there's some hard things here that aren't politically correct. Wives submit to your husbands. Husband loves your wives. Of course, she's going to love your wife. Like it, There's some difficulty here. There are two principles that are command principles here that I want to talk about this morning. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. What's important for us to do here is, is, is define some terms um, to see where Paul is going with this. What I want to begin with is the second section, verse 25 through 30. All right, so let's go back and read that. And we're going to look at husbands love your wives first. Verse 25, Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. If you just take the phrase, husband, husbands love your wives, if you just take that, I think that there can be a little bit of a notion of no duh. Like, of course. That's what a married couple does. Husband loves his wife. Wife loves, loves the husband. Where the submission piece, piece fits in. Um, figure that out as you go along. Um, you know, so what does it mean, just at, the, at the, the, the straight phrase, husbands love your wives? I think that some people might say, well, it means you're supposed to cherish her. I'm, I'm married. My wife, Lauren, back here is here. What does it mean for Danny to love her? Um, it means maybe um, that I really care about her, you know, do the right things because I want to, you know, at Valentine's Day and anniversary and birthday and all that and uh, help out, you know, and um, do what a loving husband does. And ultimately, that's nothing of what Paul is talking about here because he goes on to define it very clearly. Uh, without mincing, he doesn't give it, give us 
outside of Ephesus, the opportunity to say, well, what I think it means when it says husbands love your wives is this. Flowers, um, genuine time spent, you know, helping out around the house, giving her a break when she needs it. He doesn't say that. That's not what he's talking about here. When he says, husbands love your wives, comma, as Christ has loved the church. Now, this very, very, very specifically does not say that the husband is the Christ, you know? And it does not say that the husband is supposed to be viewed as the Christ or the Savior. But it's saying, husbands, you are supposed to treat your wives and love your wives in the same way, in the same manner that Christ has loved the church. So you're supposed to follow that example, but not be viewed in the same way. Husbands, love your wives as Christ has loved the church. And then here's how it's described. And he gave himself up for her. 1 John 3, 16 says, By this we know love that he, Jesus Christ, laid down his life for us. So number one, husbands, love your wives in such a way that you give up your life for her. That you forfeit your life for her. That you die to yourself for her. That she is number one. That if there's only a little bit of air left, she gets it. If there's only a little bit of food left, she gets it. That you give your life for her. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Gave the things that he had, the things that he was owed, and he gave it up for the church so husbands are to give themselves up for their wives. That's more than just loving, right? I mean, giving your life up. Verse 26, it goes on to describe what Christ has done to the church as an example for what husbands are to do, their, to, to, do to and for their wives. Verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word of God. Verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish this command principle is that I as a husband that you guys as a husband or future husband are to do everything that you can to take care of the spiritual, emotional, and physical needs of your wives. That is the call. That is the command. That what her needs are become your priority. Her emotional needs, her physical needs, and predominantly her spiritual needs. That you are the one who is bringing her the word. That you are the one who is bringing her the truth. Not commanding it, but loving it to her because that's what it means to love the church even when she may seem undeserving because how has Christ loved the church the church has been pretty rebellious over the years you know i mean the, the the church has been adulterous over the years and Jesus Christ has come back and said i still love you i am still there for you i'm still here to sanctify you and wash you and cleanse you and take care of the needs because i love you in a deeper way than just simply Love, but I'm giving myself to you wholly. Your needs are now become my needs. Your priorities now become my priorities. To love you as Christ loved the church goes all the way down to the core. 
It goes all the way down to the last dollar to the, in the account. It goes down all the way to the last second of your time spent. This is a high, high, high calling, guys. And it's not a calling. It's a command. It's a command principle that isn't just a checkoff, like don't lie, but it applies in the day-to-day, by hour by hour, minute by minute of your life, whether you're married now or one day will be. Because me, in application, loving Lauren is not just something that happens on Monday and then, and, then, and then she just lives off of that the rest of the week and then fills up like a tank of gas. It is something that I need to be and do for her because that is what Christ has done for us in the church. That's what it means to love your wives. Now, the, the crazy thing is, is that in this culture, we've probably heard this stuff before, this idea was, was unheard of. You know, women in biblical times didn't have the same status. They just didn't. They didn't have the same rights. They weren't allowed to be a witness in court, much less own land or have public levels of authority, all that kind of stuff, which seems so archaic. But yet Paul, in this day, is saying, listen, love her to your death all the way, in every way. Love her. As Christ has loved the church. Could, you, you, there, there are other awesome examples, but this example is sacred. You know? I mean, he's not saying love her you know, up until the point of you know, like more than you can love a child. Or, not, or love her more than you can love um, all the gold in the world. Love her like you would love X or Y or Z. No. We're talking about the Son of God who gave up his perfect life on the cross with God the Father turning his back on him so that he could take all the sins of the world and, and take our, his, the wrath that was due us and the judgment that was due us. Like that, behave like that to your wife. It's chilling, isn't it? Husbands, love your wives as Christ has loved the church. But Paul doesn't stop there in the example. He says, husbands love your wife as Christ has loved the church. But in verse 28, he goes on and says, in the same way, or also, or, or as another example, to stress the point, in the same way, husbands, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body if you're hungry it is natural for you to want to eat you know if you're tired it's natural for you to want to rest if you get home from work and you're exhausted it is natural you your body your mind tells you i just want to veg i just want to sit down i want to relax i don't want to i don't want to i don't want to go deep in thought i just i just want to to, to re-nourish to recharge i just want those things and what Paul is saying is just like you have those desires, you need to make the desire to meet those needs of your wife stronger than those desires you have for yourself. So if I come home from work and I'm exhausted and I'm tired, when I walk into the door, my number one is not what, what do I need or what do I want? Lauren, what do you need and what do you want? I do not say that I excel at that. But that is my calling. That is what the command is and that is the principle that must apply even when we get home from church today, when I get home from work tomorrow, Monday. 
that it's, it's, it's as if it's my own body is the level that I'm supposed to look after and take care of and support and lead and love my wife as a husband. So love as Christ has loved the church and love as you would love your own body. This is the definition that Paul is talking about in the command principle to love. Andy, would you say, and I'm no expert on marriage, I'm not married, I'm no expert on woman, none of us guys are, you real on me, but uh, I think about Jesus, how like even when he was tired and exhausted and everything, because I mean, he was human too, Mm -hmm. and everything. The crowds of people, he had compassion on them and saw that they were hungry. So even though he's tired, he's had a long day, to walk the probably a couple hundred miles, mm-hmm. um, that even that you go beyond, he had compassion and saw the crowd. Crowds were hungry and he met that need. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Yeah. Because I think to, to use the example of Christ as the one you're supposed to model, means you're going that extra 200 miles. Let's jump back to verse 22. We've looked at what it means to love, as Paul has described it here. Verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands. Wives, submit to your own husbands. It's not saying submit to all men. Um, It's not what it's talking about here. It's talking very specifically about the marriage relationship between one man and one woman. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its Savior. Verse 24. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. East Cooper Baptist Church holds a view called complementarianism. And it is the... Um, the understanding of uh, manhood and womanhood um, that says that a man and wife complete each other. That they are equal before God, but different. Um, Ephesians, further in Ephesians, actually let's flip there. Ephesians chapter 6 and 9. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 9. Probably the next page for you there. This is an example that is speaking of masters and slaves or employees and employers. Verse 9, it says, Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours, your master, is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him or with God. We see several different examples throughout the course of Scripture that God does not play favorites, that God um, does not look at somebody um, with a higher value, um, that he does not rank people based on how they act or their family or their gender, or it it is just unbiblical. You have somebody like Buster Brown, who is our pastor, um, and he is looked up to. He's looked up to in our church. He's looked up to in our town. Um, he is a godly man, and he, and he leads us, and, and we follow. 
and I am an employee, and I submit to him, and you are part of this church, and he is the leader of this church, and there's, there's, there's submission that goes on there. But between him and God, and between you and God, it is the same. There's, there's the same level of expectation that God has on Buster that he has on you, which is this, obey with all your heart. And if Buster does not do that, even though he has all this authority, or even though he may have all of this esteem, he will be judged. He will be judged. That when we, as if you're a believer, face the judgment seat of Christ in the end, we will be judged based on what God's commands are to us specifically. There's not some ranking system here. So as we saw in Ephesians, there is no partiality uh, with God. I was at a uh, funeral here at East Cooper several years ago for a, uh, an elderly custodian of East Cooper who had served here for years and years, Mr. Washington. And um, he passed away, and uh, he had been serving here before my, I mean, my time here and his time overlapped a little bit. And I remember specifically Buster saying, he was a more godly man than I. And the world um, might not make sense of that. But this text shows us that you can say that statement and it be true. Because and, and Buster's not living some immoral, crazy, sinful life. That's the thing, you know? And Buster is a godly man. I, I, I admire him, and I respect him, and the way that he loves his wife, the way that he loves his, his children, the way that he loves the unborn, the way that he loves missions. He's a godly man. He's a godly man. And for him to say that this custodian is a more godly man, um, he can say that because, because God has a calling on his life and on Buster's life and on my life and on your life. And it's, the calling is, is obedience with all your heart. There is no partiality. 1 Corinthians 7, chapter 4, says this. Uh, For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. And this is actually a text that's talking about sex in the marriage relationship. That when two people are married, you're not supposed to withhold sex from the other partner, except unless you maybe want to spend some specific time fasting from sex so that you can pray intentionally. But otherwise, you're not supposed to use it as a, as a, as a token or a, a bargaining tool. It says, you're not your own, you're your wives, husbands. Wives, you're not your own, you're your husbands. And so it's showing that there's an equal playing field here. This is, when it says, when it talks about submission here, this is not talking about somebody lording anything over anybody else. This is not talking about um, somebody who is in command of another person. This is, all through scripture, we see that there is an equality. And unfortunately, in biblical times, this was kind of a foreign thought. It would have been foreign in biblical times for someone to say, husbands, dude, your body's not yours. It's your wife. She owns it because of the marriage covenant. That, that wouldn't have been, it just wouldn't have been heard of back in the day. Um, and even today, in 2014, 
to say something this powerful that says, your body is not yours, it's your husband's. Your body is not yours, it's your wife's. There's, there's a little wrinkle there. Doesn't it feel like it? They're like, wait a minute. We're all still individuals, and we're supposed to love each other, and we can respect each other, but don't tell me that I'm not my own. You know? That's what Scripture is telling us. That the marriage covenant, the marriage bond, goes deep. Which is why it jumps all the way back to Genesis. In uh, Ephesians 5, 31, it's a, it's a quote from the very beginning of recorded history. Uh, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is the beginning. Yeah, this is Adam and Eve. A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This text was given to Adam and Eve, explaining the bond of their marriage even before the fall, even before sin entered into the picture, that God's holy, sacred design was for a man and a woman to come together and for the two to then become one. It is more than just an agreement. It is more than just a contract. It is more than just um, cohabitation. It is something that is truly designed from the very, 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 very beginning to describe Christ and the church. Verse 32. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. That the whole point of marriage is to mimic the example of Jesus Christ, Redeemer God, and his bride, the church, coming together, and Christ is the head. In English, you can click submit, the word submit, and look it up, and there are multiple definitions. There are multiple categories of definitions. And in, in, in the English language, when we read the word submit, I believe, typically, we come up with a more negative connotation, such as, according to Google, to give in, to back down, to cave in, surrender. And I think that that is often read into this text. Wives, give in to your husbands. Wives, back down from your husbands. Wives, cave in to your husbands. Wives, surrender to your husbands, which goes against the scripture that we've been looking at. There's another, another definition, which is not, still not completely politically correct in the American mindset, but is much softer, and I think fits more accurately with what Paul is saying in Ephesians 5.22. It says, to be governed by, to comply with, to accept, to adhere to which is what we do as the church to Christ as the head. Does that make sense? That we are, in fact, governed by Christ. Um, and that we do, in fact, if we're living obediently, comply with what Christ has said. That we do accept and adhere to. There is a, what we see in this text is a, is a prescribed order of how you do what verse 15 says. Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Um, if you look at what the 
text is, t- is, is telling a wife when it says submit to your husbands. It is saying submit to the authority of the husband who has been commanded to love you in this very clear way. What it says. Okay? We like to draw further questions. But what if he's not loving me? Right? Or husbands love your wives, but what if, what if she's not respecting me? What if she's not submitting? This text gives no room for that. This text is not a catalog of saying, but what if, chapter 5, you know? But what about in this situation, chapter 2? But, I, but, but what, you know, it's not saying that. It's a command. It's not a, you ought to. It's not a, things would go better if. It's not a, this is a really good idea, so you should. It is a command principle. Husbands, love your wives. And wives, submit to the love of your husband as he is doing all that he can and gives himself for you for the mutual growth of the two of you who are one flesh before God in, in your mutual growth in holiness and godliness. Lauren and I went to a marriage uh, conference. We've said that in the course of our marriage, we want to either read a book or go to a marriage conference once a year, something, so that we're always working on it. We don't want to be one of those couples who gets to be having problems in five or six or seven years, and it's like, uh, I guess we've got to go to a marriage conference. Like, we just want to go. And, and the ones that we, we've only been married um, almost three years now, but like, the ones that we've done have been really good, really been really helpful to us. And we went to this conference called um, Love and Respect. At the end of this text, in verse 33, it says, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So this is not my own material here, all right? This love and respect. Um, but there's a, there's a love and respect circle that this conference talked about that made a whole lot of sense. It says that husbands are supposed to um, love their wives. And as the man, husbands, you are commanded to initiate this circle. It's a command, all right? <laughs> You're, you're the head, you're the leader of the family. <clears throat> you're supposed to love your wife. And if you love your wife in the way that the text tells you to, it is routinely, typically, as we see in the Proverbs, going to draw a natural response of, of respect from your wife. I'm not doing this a whole lot of justice. When we went to the uh, when we went to the conference, it, it outlined this whole thing of what does it mean, wife, for you to feel loved? What does it mean, husband, for you to feel uh, respected? And I mean, it was it was it was nailing it on the target every single time. It's like, yeah, that is when I feel respected. Yeah, that is when I feel like, um, not that I'm governing or ruling over, but that's when I feel like things are, are going well. And when. Uh, a wife is feeling love in this biblical way, but there's a natural response of, of respect. And when she shows respect, there's a, a, a natural um, response uh, to fuel this love, and then it, it keeps going and going and going. And what we um, sometimes miss is that there's a command principle for husbands to love their wives and for wives to submit to their husbands. But there's also something that's assumed in this text. 
that both sides are forbidden to not obey. Okay? So if, for whatever reason, I don't feel like my wife is respecting me, if for whatever reason I'm working hard legitimately and trying my hardest to love her and to give myself up for her and to meet her needs and to, and to, to exhaust myself and to, and to share scripture and to love through the scripture, and if I'm doing all that and there isn't mutual respect and submission that is, is returned to me, my command is to keep love. Nowhere throughout the course of, of Scripture does it say, if it's not reciprocated, then you're, you get a free, uh, uh, get out of jail free card. It's not, it's not there. In the same way, women, if they're not being loved, God forbid, gentlemen, you may punch me in the face. And if I'm not loving my wife, um, does it give her a get-out-of-jail-free card to not do what Scripture commands and respect her husband? Buster told us in the day of our marriage that if we both together go before Jesus in submission, he said, you're going to be okay if you do that daily. Loving my wife is leading that process. Loving my wife is making sure that we, when we grab your hand, love, go to the feet of Jesus and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the feet of Jesus. I'm going to confess my sins to him. I'm going to confess my sins to you or I've wronged you. I, I'm, I'm going to give myself up like, like Christ has loved the church for you. I lead that process. And when this is working, it doesn't work a lot of times. Not because it's a flawed system, but because we're flawed people. When this doesn't work, we see it, we feel it, and you've probably seen it in your family somewhere somehow, right? When, when, this, when this isn't working, things go bad. But this text is not talking about, but what about when the wheels fall off and the, and the train crashes? This, this text is talking about this is the way it's supposed to be because marriage from the very beginning of Genesis is designed to be an example of Christ and the church. That is what we follow because Jesus Christ gave himself up for you when you didn't deserve it. Jesus Christ gave himself up for you when you were shaking your fist in rebellion. Jesus died on the cross and, and forfeited his life for you. That's the gospel. And that the, that the, the whole idea of marriage is supposed to point everybody to the gospel. And it's supposed to point Lauren and I to the gospel every day because we're married. So it's not just something that happened on August 20th, three years ago, on the day that we got married. But it's supposed to happen today. It's supposed to happen yesterday. It's supposed to happen tomorrow. Point to the gospel, point to the gospel, point to the gospel. So if Lauren and I, as just one married couple of six billion people in the, United States, in, in, in the whole world, are... Are, are doing what we're called to do and I'm loving and she's respecting and together we're going to the cross in submission to God and then the church is made up of this all working you know and then and then the national all the churches in, in the US are working this way like this is the this is the design that it was created for does that make sense um, but this 
is stuff that has to be ingested and digested. <laughs> this is not something where, again, it's just like, hey, I shall not bear false witness. This is something that has that you have to chew on and talk about and pray through and fall at the feet of Jesus to see exactly what this means and how it pans out in, in your life. Now, I know most of us in here are not married. And I think if you're not married, right now, right now is the best time for you to be hearing this and chewing on this. If you're, if you're a soldier and you jump out of an airplane with your parachute on and you land in the middle of a battlefield, you don't hit the ground and think, all right, what's our objective? You know? You don't hit the ground and think, um, how do I turn the safety off of this rifle? You don't hit the ground and think, um, hey, who's on my side? You know? You don't hit the ground and think, wait, who's my enemy again? You know, you go in prepared. And if you don't, it's going to be disastrous, which I think is why we see disaster in marriages all over the place. People told us that our first year of marriage was going to be the most difficult. Um, and it hasn't been. It's been wonderful. But I don't credit that to us. I, I, I credit that to the fact that we've had privilege to be around other godly people who are married, and we've been hearing truth. And we've been trying to apply it. So I don't want to say that in any way of like, I think we've, hey, we're doing it right. I just think we've heard truth, you know? And so if you're not married right now, this is maybe more important for you now than a married person. If you're married right now, maybe you're behind the ball. And you need to be getting on this and seeing what this means today. But if you're not married, you need to be chewing on this because you're in the airplane. Maybe you haven't jumped out yet. Maybe you haven't hit the ground yet. But you need to know this. Because if you're a believer, this is a command principle for you to have in your life as a representation of the gospel to the world. I hope, and I, whew, boy, I get a little teary here. <laughs> I hope my daughter sees Jesus through our marriage. That's the design, you know? That's the design. That, that, that our, our daughter, who looks to me as a father, and Lauren and the mother <laughs> sees the gospel because that's where she's supposed to see it first, you know? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this truth. I thank you for your prescribed order. Father, help us to, by your spirit, determine what the will of the Lord is. That we would look carefully, not as unwise, but as wise, to walk according to your command principles. Father, I thank you for those that are married in this room. I thank you for those who are not. And Father, may we let this sink in and filter through the way that we date, through engagements, Father, through our married lives. In Jesus' name, amen.